Hi, everybody. This is Lori, and I am the founder of a company called Inclusivity and also the author of a new book, You Can Save the World. In fact, you're the only one who can, which is all about sustainable living and taking care of the earth and each other. And this is our podcast, which is called Inclusive Talks Sustainability. And on the podcast, we have wonderful people who are artists and creatives and also people who are enmeshed or in in engaged in the sustainability field, in the sustainability world. And today we're doing actually our second episode with Vicki Rich, who is a writer and also a communication specialist. And Vicki, on our last episode, talked with us about how, sort of how she got to where she is as far as her writing. And today we're going to continue that conversation. So Vicki, thank you for coming back. Well, thank you for having me. We are very glad to have you. So we had kind of left off. You had, you had talked a bit about the fact that you were a social worker for a number of years. And um, it sounded like your path was, your creative path in, in high school and college really was music, that you were um, a musician and wrote music. And then kind of that tapered off a bit when you had children and other things took your time. And then you worked as a social worker for 15 years. And towards the end of that social work career, you started writing. And this time your writing took on um, the, well, it was a blog. So you started blogging and um, sort of shifted then to become a full-time creative. Is that kind of a good summary? Yeah, I would think that, yeah. It sounds so cool when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is so cool. That's what's wonderful about it. Um, so I wanted to ask today, we hadn't talked really about whether your, you know, your work in social services in any way you think colored your writing or how that affected your life kind of going forward from there? I think that, um, you know, as I had mentioned in, in, the, in the kind of social work that I did, which was uh, maltreatment investigations of vulnerable adults, so elder abuse and financial exploitation and um, sexual abuse and emotional abuse, those types of things were the things I was investigating day in and day out. And I think that um, some of the things that become clear to you when you're doing that kind of work is also systemic inequities. And, you know, there were just so many problems that were um, generational, intergenerational poverty and, um, you know, systemic racism and all of those things that I couldn't fix because like, you know, I can go into a situation and say, wow, this is bad. Um, but so much of what people were dealing with were things that I, I couldn't fix. There were no easy fix. And so you know, I mean, I, as a fellow Grinnell alum, I think that, you know, Grinnell does a great job of broadening your horizons and really helping people have a bigger worldview and to be um, rooted in, and care about issues of social justice. And I think that in my work as a social worker, those inequities that I knew of rather intellectually became very clear to me in the concrete. And um, 
So I think that, you know, after that, I mean, not just after that, but also that added to my own personal philosophy and also my experience as a lesbian and, and the discrimination that I had faced you know, in my own life, I think all of the, we can't be divorced from those experiences anytime we tell a story, you know? And so I think it, all of those, all of those experiences not only inform how I write about things, but, you know, I, it also, the why, you know, and that idea of hoping to change, um, to change people's hearts and minds and, to actually make people think bigger than themselves and, and to think about the greater good. I like that a lot. That answer that. <laughs> it was a wonderful answer. And it was kind of a perfect answer for us because as I said, our, our podcast really is about creative, but also um, creatives, but also about sustainable living. And our definition of sustainability is, you know, the same one that the UN employs and that our friends at Alliance for Sustainability employ, which is that it really encompasses the environment, but it also encompasses um, economic and social justice. And so what you just talked about really touched on those themes of all of us need to live our lives with these things in mind, that, that we need to make decisions with these things in mind. Um, and for me, I've started referring to that as seeing the world through a lens of sustainability, that you know every decision we make, we filter through this lens. And the cool thing is we already do that, right? We do it with lots of things like our religion or our political beliefs. All of those things already filter our decisions. So all I'm asking people to do is ask that, is add that one extra lens. And so I think that brings us nicely to um, ask you for you, what are the things around sustainable living that you feel most passionately about? What are the, the um, things that help define the way you live and, and the way um, you make choices? Um, you know, I always do try to to keep in mind the greater picture and the bigger picture. And also, I don't know if it is my working class upbringing or 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 what it is. But I'm also a pretty simple person. Like I like to live very simply. Um, you know, I think that. Well, I, I'm uh, capitalism man. <laughs> It is a, it is a heady drug. And I think that the older I get, the more I realize that drive that people have from this cultural indoctr indoctrination of, of needing more. And, you know, and so, and I think also like having kids who are now teenagers and the culture that they're exposed to online and everything. And, you know, it's like, why wouldn't you want the big fancy car? And it's like, because I don't need the big fancy car. And it's not even, can I afford the big fancy car? Because I could probably do that if I wanted. But I really um, appreciate and um, kind of honor the simplicity of living now in maybe a way I didn't when I was younger mm -hmm. and just feel really happy with a simple life in terms of possessions and goals and dreams. Not that I'm leading a small life, but I just really don't need a lot of complication. And I, you know, that's kind of what it means to me. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think that that's a wonderful way to phrase it. We're, we're really working on trying to get people to see sustainability in a broader context and that it doesn't mean giving up everything 
but it really can mean just focusing on what do I really want? What do I really need? Mm-hmm. And sort of simplifying things a bit can be a wonderful way to obtain a more sustainable life. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Yeah, I like that. So tell us, if you don't mind, what your philosophy of life is. If you had to sort of define that, what would you define it as? Boy, I should have prepared something for this. (laughs) So many. I have so many. I have so many philosophies. Um, I, I guess my overriding principle or kind of the driving force for me is that I am a relationship focused person. I'm a connection focused person. And when it's all said and done, um, those are the things that I hope to be judged by the, the relationships I built, the community I built and the love that I have in my life. So I think that would be probably my biggest philosophy, kind of the overarching one. To focus on relationships. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially in middle age, my idea of what success is has had to shift dramatically, not just because I changed careers, but because my mindset shifted um, as I got older. And I think for me, I mean, it's always a work in progress, you know, because I think that you know, growing up the way I grew up, it was pretty much ingrained in me that like, you get, you grow up and you get a good job and you get all the things and, you know, and that's the way it is. And I think that um, I've had to learn to redefine success for myself, not out of necessity, but out of desire. And um, I want to see it differently. And so when I really get down to what do I value most it's connection. And I will say that, you know, as a geriatric psychologist, I'm, I'm just incredibly fortunate to talk to people at the ends of their lives. And rarely do I hear someone say, I wish I had um, worked more, or I wish I had, you know, devoted more time to material possessions. It is almost, almost always, I wish that I had spent more time with my partner or my children or my friends, or that I had worked harder to develop relationships, not across the board, but it is certainly much more likely to be that than it is to be about money. Yeah. Because I think that's, those are the things that um, when, when, as we age, we want to talk to people, we want to connect to people we love and it feels good to do that. And I think as we get older, you know, you really separate the wheat from the chaff. I mean, you really, boy, you can tell I'm from Kansas sometimes, but um, you really figure out what's important for you. And that might be different for everybody. But I do think that that's where I'm at, at this point in my life, at least. So if you, Vicki, were giving some advice to um, young creatives coming up who maybe wanted to do either music or, or writing or even art, but who just wanted to pursue that sort of creative passion, what would you say? What would your advice be? Oh, I have these conversations all the time with my, my um, kids. And I think like, especially for, for my daughter, who is such a... Um, She's so passionate about music, and but she's also so focused on success and um, career 
and all of those things and worrying about those things. And what I've always, what my partner and I have always talked to, told our kids is do follow your passion. Don't end up in a career that you don't like just because you wanted the money. And to really listen to that part of yourself that wants that creative life. So like, if you want to be a musician, try it. If you don't succeed in a way that feels right for you, you can do something else, you know? And I think that especially um, young people today, they get the message from a very young age that they need to have it all figured out, you know? Like um, last, my daughter was a freshman last year and one of her, one of her teachers told the class, like everything you do right now determines the rest of your future. And that is an incredible amount of pressure. And I think the younger generation right now is under so much pressure that how can you, how can you figure out what you want, what's best for you, or, or where your passion lies when there's so much pressure for a particular kind of success? And so I would say, you know, be open. Mm -hmm to all possibilities and to to not tell yourself no let the world tell you no so try it and let somebody else put the limits on you don't put them on yourself mm -hmm. yeah that's excellent advice um, we had i had a 98 year old artist or 90 she's not 98 i'm so sorry she's 91 I she probably hate that um, <laughs> artist that i interviewed once who said that her biggest piece of advice was just be willing to try things yeah just be willing to try things and it's okay if it's not the right one that, absolutely that, and I think she was feeling the same way that kids are so pressured to find the right path and you have to define it right now and how can you possibly know the right path at 15 no I know like when I went to college you know back in the olden days in the 80 late 80s there was just not this pressure I mean and, you know, I mentioned that I'm the first woman to graduate from college in my family, but there wasn't, I never felt like it was life or death, you know, and, and I had every reason to have a family that would put that pressure on me, but it was just like, oh, I'll go to college and I'll apply to one. And if I don't get in there, I'll go to right. KU, <laughs> you know, I mean, I took the ACT once, you know, I mean, yeah. it was just a completely different and it's just amazing to me how quickly it's changed. And I, I just, my heart breaks for the pressure on kids today, honestly, because I think, you know, the pressure to, to succeed in a particular way mm -hmm. and, and to be so closed down to other possibilities or other paths that you're locked into something at 16 or 15 or, you know, mm -hmm. I just think it's, it's, yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. So, Vicki, before I ask you, I'm gonna, the last thing I want to ask you is to tell us a story about your life. But before I ask you to do that, I just want to go back to your writing just for a minute because I'm, I always like to ask people who are writers or musicians, both, um, or even and artists as well, but sort of what is your process for writing? So when you, how does that unfold for you? Is it that you have a storyline in mind and then you write it down? Do you, do you come up with phrases? Like how, how does that unfold for you as a writer? 
uh, I feel like my best stories that I've written come from a very, very specific moment in time. And those are the kind of stories that I like to write. So something that happened, but it's very specific, like um, I wrote a story about a waffle iron. And it was a very specific moment that inspired me to write this story about the, my mother's waffle iron. And I think that my process always involves taking that moment and putting all of the emotion that I felt in that moment into that, to that scene, if you will, and then extrapolating the lessons that I learned from that or the, the, the more relatable global point that the story can hold. So it's pretty much always the same, a specific moment in time, and then infused with the emotion that I felt at that time, and then pulling back to the bigger picture. Very nice. And when you were writing music and writing songs, was it a similar process or was it really different? It was it was pretty similar, except for I, I always wrote the music first. So I would have, um, I'd be messing around on the guitar and I'd come up with a progression of chords or, or notes or a melody that I really liked. And I would just pursue that. And then once I had a chunk of that, then I would start to write the lyrics. And again, they were always, you know, true to life and from personal experience. Okay. Very nice. So I would love it if you would tell us a story from your life. And I always like to preface this by saying it doesn't have to be the story. It doesn't have to have a big lesson, although it can. Um, from other people, we've had stories as diverse as trying to fry an egg on the sidewalk during the summer when they were a child to um, literally having an epiphany moment by the side of the road in which their life changed. So we've had a huge gamut of, you know, just it's run the, it's, it's really run run the the widest path that you possibly could as far as the types of stories people tell. So if you are willing, we would love to hear a story that just feels like yours. Okay. Um, I'm usually, you know, usually I do my writing. I write the story. So off the cuff always is a little nerve wracking for me, especially in this kind of situation. But I think that this story ties into um, that idea of connection. So um, when I was in college, I made very good friends. And we all happened to end up in Minneapolis um, as young adults. And we all bought houses around a particular park in South Minneapolis called Powderhorn Park. So literally, like my two best friends from college and I lived north side of the park, east side of the park, and south side of the park. And so, you know, I mean, it really definitely deepened our friendship, not only because we had this history of being students together at Grinnell, but we also had this geographical closeness now. And we all bought houses at the same time. And one of the things that uh, we thought about was like, wow, we're all kind of living this similar experience as young homeowners, you know, of these old houses that need a lot of work. And so we um, decided we were going to form a housing co-op. 
And so what we would do is once a month, we would meet at someone's house and they would have a project in mind and everybody would bring the tools that they had. And we would work eight hours that day on that particular project. And we eventually invited some other households to join. But through the course of that, like, you know, we put in fences, we stripped wallpaper, we put in retaining walls, like we did all of this kind of stuff. And it was great. I mean, it was a great way and kind of tying into sustainability, too, of like shared resources, shared labor and, you know, this kind of work together. And then time passed and we all had kids at the same time. And so we thought, wow, we're really all tired and (laughs) we have all these babies and what are we going to do for childcare? And so we started a collective childcare. And so we all raised our children together and, you know, we had a schedule and people worked part time and, and we would have all these babies together, two adults in a house every day, you know, every weekday. And we raised our kids together to the point now that like, I mean, they're our family. I mean, I see these kids and I'm just invested in watching their growth and success as I am my own. And then as our kids got older and we got more, we got busier, more activities and whatever, we were like, wow, it's really hard to to manage meals, you know? So we started a supper club where one family would cook. Like, so for three times a week, for example, you would cook for 20 and people would come and pick up their family meal and whatever. So like one night a week, you didn't have to cook at all, but you had a home cooked meal. And we did that for a couple of years. I will admit that I think the beet pie might've kind of kicked me out prematurely. I just don't like beets enough to eat a beet pie, but so it's really, that is kind of not only the story of kind of the past 20 years of my life, but also so much why. I value connection and relationships and that no matter what happens, I can look back at my life and say, wow, I built this community and it sustains me. And it fits beautifully with that model of sustainability that you are accessing resources that you have and giving back. Yeah. And supporting each other. And that is, you know, sustainability is all about connecting with your neighborhood and taking care of each other and finding ways to to do that effectively that work for everyone. Yeah. So that is a beautiful story. (laughs) So Vicki, is there anything that I haven't asked you in this uh, almost hour of time now that that I should anything that that we haven't talked about that that you would like to talk about? No been a great conversation. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Excellent. So I want to thank you for being here. You were a fantastic guest and I'm just so glad that you agreed to come on our podcast. And for everybody who's listening, this has been Vicki Rich who, Vicki, do you want to talk, just mention again, the, um, listen to your mother. Sure. Um, you can find out uh, more about Listen to Your Mother Twin Cities, which is a live reading event, by going to uh, TwinCitiesCreative.com. That is the website uh, owned by my producing partner, Galit Breen, and I. And you do that, you said, four times a year. And it's an in-person event. Is it online as well, or is it just in person? It is exclusively 
in person. So we have not had our show in a year. It's I been. Can say you haven't had anything for a while. No, and I miss it. I miss it terribly. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll be back. Yeah. It will be back. So if you're in the Twin Cities and you want to check that out, um, please do. And Vicki, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for having me. This has been Inclusive Talks, and we'll be back again with another episode. Thank you. If she's a mountain.